Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Kevin Sutton. Coach Sutton's an assistant coach at the University of Rhode Island. He's previously the head coach at Montverde Academy and has been coaching for over 33 years. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Dave. How are you? Doing well. Uh, I appreciate you making time to uh, hop on the podcast. I know we've been playing phone tag, but I'm glad and I'm pumped that you're uh, you're here on the podcast. Oh, absolutely! Thank you so much for you know being patient and uh, like you said, we've been playing phone tag. I'm just uh, really honored to have this opportunity to to do this podcast with you tonight. Thanks, well, Coach. Go ahead and give yourself a brief introduction to the listeners. Uh, my name is Kevin Sutton, I'm assistant men's basketball coach currently at the University of Rhode Island into my third year. I have over 33 years of uh, coaching experience, starting at the highest end of high school basketball. Um, I've also coached uh, collegiately, and then I also have international basketball coaching experience, as I have been a part of three different initiatives for USA Basketball. Basketball has been my passion. I played it. Uh, in high school at a very high level, was able to earn a scholarship to James Madison University and then uh, get on my uh, career path right after I graduated from uh, James Madison University. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard you on a lot of podcasts and, you know, just mutual friends have spoken so highly. So I was I was really thrilled when uh, Coach Chill put us in touch. That, that's my guy there. You know, Rafael Chilios is a, is a, is a brother of mine. I have a great deal of respect for him as a man, uh, father and husband. And then I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for his ability to to, to coach and lead and uh, evaluate talent and impact lives. Yeah, he's one of the best. You know, so uh, another connection we have is I, I know you're the cousin of uh, Tommy Amaker and Bobby Dobson. Uh, Bobby Dobson's mom was my sister, I want to say sixth grade teacher. Oh wow! Okay, well, it's a, it's a small world. Uh, yes, I'm 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 honored to be uh, cousins with, uh, like you said, Tommy Amaker. He's actually uh, my my not only my cousin, but we're we're also god brothers. And then uh, Bobby is uh, a little bit younger than I am, and he followed me to uh, Flint Hill. Uh, but our, our whole entire family, you know, Tommy Amaker, Bobby Dobson, his brother Butchie Dobson, uh, our cousin JJ Brooks, and uh, Paul Williams. We are extremely close family, so yeah, I'm, I'm honored to uh, to be their cousin. Yeah, well, I should say uh, they're your cousin. I should word it like that. <laughs> Tommy actually went to Woodson. I mean, obviously before I did, but uh, yes. So you know, I know Coach Jenkins real well, family. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Riz, 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 an outstanding coach. Uh, I have a, a great deal of respect for for Red Jenkins. And yes, Tommy did go to uh, W.T. Woodson High School and played there uh, with uh, Pete Holbert and had a great career and and went on to, as we all know, went on to Duke University, had an outstanding career there and, and now has done a tremendous job as a coach at uh, Seton Hall, Michigan, and now at Harvard University. Absolutely. Talk about how competitive those basketball games were growing up, you know, at family gatherings. Uh, extremely competitive, <laughs> uh, but they were, they, what's interesting is that we, uh, uh, we were competitive, uh, but we also uh, complemented each other very, very well. It's interesting and also that um, there, there was, while we were in high school, Tommy at W.T. Woodson, myself and Bobby at Flint Hill, and my cousin J.J. and, 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 and Butchie at Falls Church, there was a pitcher um, 
taken in by the newspaper and it said family hoops and just give this uh, give these cousins uh, a big man and they could win the state. <laughs> and, uh, so we're we're all we all have that picture, you know, uh, in our office or, or in our homes. And we're very proud of it. Yeah, the, the games were extremely competitive, uh, but we all always ended up, uh, you know, sh- uh, share, having a great deal of respect and love for each other. That's great. You know, your family valued the importance of quality education. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, your aunt was my sister's elementary school teacher. Mm-hmm. Did that play a factor in deciding to get into education? And is that something that attracted you to your wife, her being an educator and all? Uh, yes, it's, it's a, it's a, it was important. Um, you know, the value of education was always stressed to us. So it's important, you know, that um, when I wanted to uh, decide the, what career I went wanted to go into, I, I fell back on, you know, becoming a teacher first. And now I look at myself as not only as a coach, but more, more as an educator. And you bring up my wife. Um, her name is Beth, and she is uh, an outstanding educator. Uh, she's got her master's degree. And, and I tell people all the time, I'm a pretty good coach and has had a pretty good career, but she's an even better teacher uh, and educator than I am because she's won teacher of the year in every school she's <laughs> where she's worked at. And I've only won coach of the year twice. <laughs> Talk about how she, you know she's adapted with this whole uh, distance learning as an educator. Um, you know what she she is did a tremendous job with we had kids, but our youngest daughter, uh, who's ten years old, is at home, um, and my wife was very instrumental in the success of my daughter during this whole pandemic in the distance learning. Um, actually, she is a longtime sub at my daughter's school. Um, and so she did a great job of making adjustments to fit uh, our daughter's needs so she could have a great deal of success. I think we all bo- we all know that once the, the pandemic hit and distance learning was thrusted upon us, there was a lot of um, uncertainty and a lot of mistakes that were made early on, especially at the elementary school level, because now you're talking about, uh, you know, fourth graders my daughter's in the fourth grade and she's 10 years old and now she's given assignments to check her email and, and from every you know every assignment and move it from this place to that place and it was almost like the teachers were you know teaching kids in college um so my wife was instrumental in stepping in and uh putting in place some different things that helped my daughter be, have a very, very successful distance learning. And then she shared that information, not only with the teacher, but also with the other families uh, it, that, that were a part of our class. And it really made for a smoother transition. And I think all the kids uh, uh, benefited from my wife's knowledge. And she just, have a, she just has a tremendous feel. She has the knowledge, but she has a tremendous feel um, and that's what makes her a great educator. Okay. Um, you know, I had heard on some podcasts that, you know, you were recruited to play basketball at Flint Hill and, but you were one heck of a football player also. Do you, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty good. I actually was uh, a pretty good, uh, uh, quarterback and free safety. My father was, uh, my very first football coach and, uh, and he was passionate about the game of football. And, uh, David, as you know, when your, your father is a coach, uh, you get the information, you know, all week long, you know, leading up to the game. 
and uh, you get it, you know, uh, the night before the game, you get it to the on the car rides to the game, and then you certainly get a uh, get it on, get an earful on the way from the game that what you what you didn't do. And I call all of that left ear wisdom because you're sitting in the passenger seat and you're looking out the window, and your father and your coach is you know talking into that left ear. And uh, so yeah, I was a I was a pretty decent you know football player, but I stopped playing after my eighth grade year entering my my ninth grade year going into uh and into high school um you know primarily because i wanted to focus on basketball and i wanted to earn a scholarship but also the the the, the injuries were you know so much more painful and harder to come back from um with each passing year because i i was a little bit on the the, the smaller side if you will um, and so when I entered high school, they wanted me to play JV football as a quarterback and then had me slated to play varsity as a sophomore, uh, uh football wise. But I, I stopped playing in the, uh, in the eighth grade to focus on, um, on basketball. And I'm really happy that I did. That's interesting that, you know, at, at that time they didn't force you to choose one. You hear so often about, you know, some coaches not wanting their kids to, you know, cross train. So it's really interesting to hear that, especially at, what was a very powerhouse high school basketball program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I started off at Falls Church High School, and they had a you know really good football program that was really really strong. And then I transferred over to uh, to, to Flint Hill my last two years of high school, and they were a high school basketball power. Um, you know, Coach Vetter um, is arguably one of the best coaches I've ever had. He's a Hall of Famer in the Washington, D.C. area. And at that time, he was putting together a really, really, really powerful uh, high school basketball program. And, and the timing couldn't have been per- more, it couldn't have been better because in uh, 1983, that's when uh, USA Today newspaper started to rank the top 25 high, uh, 25 high schools you know, in, in the country. And uh, Coach Vetter was, uh, had our team um, as one of the top teams in the, you know, in the program. I mean, top, top teams in the country. We were, you know, my senior year, we finished uh, 25 and five, and we had uh, five Division I uh, basketball players on the team. You, know, you, you mentioned that you started off at Falls Church. Did you ever talk about you know, going back to your base school, or was it, was it primarily you know, a decision to try to get a college scholarship or you know, talk about just leaving friends because back then you didn't have the social media where you guys can all you know, get on you know, Twitter and you know, go back and forth. Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a conscious decision. Um, you know, to, for me to have the opportunity uh, when Coach Vetter came and watched me play and then he offered me the opportunity to go to Flint Hill. It was a conscious decision, you know, to to go there um, with the idea of gaining a higher level of visibility and exposure and putting myself in position to to earn a scholarship. Um, you mentioned Tommy Amaker. You know, Tommy uh, went to W.T. Woodson to play for Red Jenkins, um, who had uh, at, at, he was a public school coach at W.T. Woodson and had built a tremendous program. And uh, so Tommy was fortunate enough to, to, to go there. So every decision that that we made, uh, it, it was with a lot of thought and a lot of support, you know, from our family. So it was a conscious decision. Um, I never left my friends. Uh, they were fully supportive uh, of me. I'm fortunate enough to, that uh, living in Falls Church, uh, Virginia, uh, and Tommy and I and my uh, and our cousins are you know, byproducts of James Lee Community Center. Um, so we had a, 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 a family base, a friend base that was totally supportive of us pursuing our dreams. 
It's interesting you mentioned James Lee. I actually used to uh, do some volunteer work over there. And I remember playing in the uh, what was it, Fairfax County Youth Basketball League, the Travel League. Absolutely. And that was the gym I hated going to because, man, those fans were ruthless. <laughs> they, they were highly educated basketball fans, that, that, and we, we won an awful lot. So the expectations were very, very high. Not too many people came in there and won. No, I, I think we <laughs> never even sniffed, you know, being within 20. <laughs> Uh, you know, talk about your experience, uh, you know, playing for Coach Vetter, and, and how often do you guys stay in touch? Uh, my, my experience playing for Coach Vetter was two of the best. Coach, you there? Yep, I can hear you. Dave, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Dave. Can you hear me? Yes. So, uh, you know, Coach Vetter and I have, have remained very, very close. Um, he has been instrumental in my life um, as I continue to grow, you know, grew into, you know, from a young man into a manhood. Um, I worked for him for 10 years and uh, he continued, like I said, poured into my life in every way um, as a professional and, you know, in my personal life. Uh, I very rarely make any decisions without com communicating with him first and asking his opinion. And I speak to him probably you know, two to three times a week. That's great. Can you hear me? Um, you know, to your own admission, uh, you didn't have a stellar career at James Madison, but you were a D1 student athlete nonetheless. What do you recall about your time at JMU, both with basketball but also with just being in college. Yeah, correct. I, I, I didn't have a stellar career um, at James Madison University, certainly not the career that I had, had hoped and dreamed, um, but I did have a stellar basketball experience. Um, I'm still very close uh, with the guys that, I, that were in my recruiting class, Eric Brent, who's a, uh, a, 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 a administrator in the Fairfax County Public School System, um, Anthony Inge, who's a businessman, down in uh, North Carolina, John Newman, who's in real estate, and George Kingland, who's in uh, Houston, Texas, and runs, uh, you know, Kenny Smith, uh, or uh, um, a nonprofit organization. So I'm, I'm all, I'm still connected with all those guys, and uh, and they are all very, very successful men. Um, while at James Madison, we went to the NIT, and we had the biggest uh, win-loss turnaround in NCAA history. So um, as for the rest of my, you know, college experience at James Madison, there's only one word I can, I can use to describe that. It was incredible. Um, truly the best time of my life as I transitioned from, like I said, young adult into uh, full adulthood. And I was prepared professionally 
academically, socially, and uh, professionally to uh, have a successful career, certainly the career that I have been very blessed to have today. That's awesome. You know, I, I've heard that you, uh, you know, coached Flint Hill in the summer leagues. Talk about your experience doing that. Uh, again, that was uh, just a tremendous opportunity for, you know, for me. Uh, one in which that I, uh, I was very blessed to have uh, good coaches in my life, starting with my dad and then my other coaches throughout my youth and then the, the, my high school coaches. And, and then, like you said, Coach Vetter. Um, so he, they, he knew, Coach Vetter knew that I wanted to become a coach one day or thought I, ha- I wanted to become a coach. And so he gave me the opportunity um, to coach his summer league team. And, you know, David, as you know, back in the, 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 uh, the DMV, affectionately known, um, as the DMV, uh, summer leagues at the time were really, really important. And they were, um, where your team, you know, played almost like regular season games, but they were at the summer in the summertime. And so I was a rising senior at James Madison. Uh, I would take classes, um, up and, and then drive and then drive home every Friday, you know, you know, to practice the team and coach the team in, in, in summer league. And then, um, I would, uh, you know, commute back to school, you know, on, on Sunday and uh, I would conduct the practices. I would coach the team on Saturday and Sunday and drive back to, to JMU. And it was an unbelievable experience. Um, it helped, uh, it helped when you had division one players, you know, I had guys like Dennis Scott, you know, Ronnie Thompson and went on to uh, Georgetown, uh, Aaron Bain, uh, a guy that people don't even know about named Bebe Boca Chica, who was, uh, from Puerto Rico, that was an outstanding, talented, you know, young man. But uh, it was a good learning experience uh, for me, you know, to uh, be able to have that opportunity to uh, learn how to practice the team, playing practices, uh, coach, and learn how to coach uh, games and manage games. And uh, and Coach Vetter was just there, you know, and then we would we would critique my performance, and he would just give me invaluable in, in input. And I was just uh, little did I know I was just preparing myself for what I eventually wanted to do. Which leagues did you guys play in? Um, we played in at the time it was called the uh, Sidwell Friends Summer League over at Sidwell's uh, Sidwell Friends School um, on Wisconsin Avenue. Um, Eddie Saw was the head coach over there, and every team, every top team in the in the in the area was playing back then. The um, the uh, uh, the inner city teams like Dunbar, McKinley Tech, they were very, very strong. And then you had the teams from the Catholic League like DeMatha, Gonzaga, you know, and St. John's. And then independent teams like ourselves, you know, uh, Flint Hill. And the, the the league was just unbelievable. College coaches came all the time. They had an all-star game. It was uh, – the league was an offshoot of the Jelliff Boys Club League when it uh, – and it just got moved inside and became the, the Eddie Saw – I'm just going to the, the Sidwell Friends Summer League. Okay, cool. Um, now you were a graduate assistant at James Madison as well, correct? Correct. Talk about, you know, the, the transition from player to then, you know, being on staff. Um, I, I, I keep using the word, uh, opportunity because that's what it was. Uh, John Thurston, who had recruited me to come to James Madison university, uh, had now moved from assistant coach to, to head coach. And he had heard that I was going back home, to coach my summer league team, coach my high school summer league team. And then he also knew that I had a, a passion for the game of basketball. He saw my leadership skills because I would organize 
our college, you know, summer league work, I mean, summer, summer workouts. So he saw all of that. And then he gave me an opportunity to, to join his staff. And so it was just another training ground opportunity for me. Um, I was doing a lot of what, what the, you know, you see the director of basketball operations do today. Um, you know, I was also given the opportunity to sit in meetings to learn about coaching, learn about scouting, learn about scheduling, recruiting, uh, player relationships, etc. And it was just a growth period in my life and my career. Uh, this is when I decided that I, this is exactly what I wanted to do when I, uh, um, you know, we graduated when I was leaving James Madison. Okay. Um, and I also heard that uh, when Lefty Drizel took over, you know, for about a week, you were, you were driving him around uh, with the hopes of staying on staff. Any interesting stories about Lefty? Um, yeah. That, well, first of all, that story is true. Um, Coach Drizel had come in and uh, for a week I was showing him around, you know, town, you know, um, and just, and, just listening to him, you know, while he was, you know, talking to, you know, other people uh, while driving around town. But Coach Rizell and I had a had a had a had a prior relationship when I was in the seventh grade. Um, Tommy Amaker, uh, Johnny Dawkins, Lenny Bias, uh, Billy King, Ralph Sampson, uh, Coach Rizell's son Chuck Rizell. We were all at the University of Maryland basketball camp. Um, from you know 1977 and 1978, uh, so you know I, I knew all about Maryland basketball. I got the chance to meet my my idol, which at the time was um, uh, Mo you know Mo Howard, who played, and Tommy Amaker's idol was uh, you know John Lucas, you know, and Butchie's idol was Steve the Bear, you know Steve the Bear Shepherd, and so we loved Maryland basketball. So Coach Coach Drizel uh, and I would reminisce, and well, I I would reminisce, <laughs> and then I would just listen to him talk to recruits, and um, and just learn. And like I said, I was hoping that he would keep me on staff, but he had already had you know the, the people you know a staff in mind. So um, when that didn't happen, it just made my decision that much easier to 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 go um, and go back to Flint Hill, where I had an offer to join uh, Coach Vetter's staff. Okay, so that kind of transitioned to the next question. Um, so you were coaching the eighth grade and sub varsity teams, uh, but also being a varsity assistant. Talk about what you learned about coaching uh, that also uh, what I'm sorry, and what you were able to learn through that experience. Um, I spent 10, 10 great years uh, learning under Coach Better. Uh, I, I've, I've earned my 10,000 hours um, and you, you're an avid reader like myself. So we, you know about the book uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, but I earned my 10,000 10, hours um, by working, you know, those 10 years with, uh, with Coach Better. My time with him um, was uh, arguably some of the best times I've ever had in my coaching career. You know, I learned so much um, how to coach, how to teach, how to communicate, you know, how to be a professional, um, how to develop a work ethic and how to build successful programs. Um, so I learned that all, you know, by watching him do what he what he does best and and uh, which made him a Hall of Famer. And uh, and then I had my own team. You know, I was the my first job was the uh, middle school or eighth grade team and that practice from two to three. And then uh, at 310, I was a JV coach from 310 to 530. 
And then at uh, six o'clock, I had to uh, be back ready to uh, join Coach Vetter's practice as his uh, varsity assistant coach. And I wouldn't change anything uh, because I was able to learn how to teach, you know, eighth graders how to play. Um, and then uh, as a JV coach, um, I, again, learned how to teach and coach and prepare. My job was to prepare um, the, uh, the JV players to, to move up to the varsity. So if I was able to do that and develop them, you know, then I was doing my job. And then finally, on you know, at, at the varsity assistant coach, and I was in charge of player development. I was in charge of recruiting, you know, and uh, also scouting, you know, just unbelievable, you know, growth opportunity and learning experiences. Uh, those, you know, 10 years that I was with uh, Coach Vetter, where we were two years at Flint Hill, two years at Harker Prep, uh, and then uh, six uh, unbelievable years at St. John's Prospect Hall. Okay. Um you know, you've been somewhat of a, a journeyman spending, you know, six years at Montverde, a couple seasons and other stops. Do you think that is something that ADs might hold against you? Cause I, the, my, my former uh, assistant coach, Sean Dempsey, I just had on, and he was talking about how he's kind of been a journeyman like yourself. Um, but then on the flip side, it, it's allowed you to learn under a lot of head coaches. You know, talk uh. I, this is what I would say to to answer that question. I mean, I would never, I would never call myself a journeyman, okay. uh, nor would I. I look at my career as as a journeyman. Every move I've made with uh, uh, in my career uh, was with careful thought and planning. Um, I've I've touched every rung of of the ladder, and I am so proud that I have. Um, all experiences were about growth. Every last one of them. You know, uh, it is my hope that people in the hiring positions have vision when they come to hiring me, you know, an athletic administrator that hires me as their head coach is getting a professional uh, with a wealth of experience and building an enhancement of, of programs. So that's, that's what I, I bring to the table. Awesome. Heck, if I was an AD, I'd be hiring you already just based on your resume alone. <laughs> Between that and your living trophies, uh, your record speaks for itself. I appreciate that for sure. Um, you know, who are some of the coaches that you've stayed in touch with over the years uh, that you've worked with and worked for? I'm a relationship person, so I, I stay in contact with with everybody that that I had the opportunity to to work with. Um, you know, uh, John Thompson the third, Kevin Brodus, who's the head coach of Morgan State University. You know, Tavares Hardy, who's the head coach of Loyola. You know, Kevin Stallings, you know, uh, who I worked with at University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Jeremy Ballard, who was an assistant coach, who's the head coach of Florida, you know, inter international. You know, Mike Lonigan, uh, George Washington University. You know, Maurice Joseph, who took over at GW. Now he's at you know, uh, George Mason. So I'm a relationship person. Um, you know, I, I take pride in, in cultivating relationships and maintaining those relationships and then eventually growing them. So I, I've kept in, in contact with uh, most everyone that I've had the opportunity to to work, you know, for. That's awesome. You know, you essentially put Mount Montverde on the map. In a nutshell, how did you do it? <laughs> um, you know, I was, you know, diligent and, and intentional and, and, and systematically, you know, I, I just wanted to do everything that I had always envisioned. Um, I was able to, to put Montverde on the map because I took advantage of all the resources that I had at my disposal. 
uh, as well as all the knowledge that I had learned being a student of the game, uh, as well as I had a vision statement, you know, David, I had a mission statement and I had a value statement. I think the most successful people have all three of those statements and and all three of those statements uh, were my foundation of, of how I was going to build, you know, Montverde, you know, into the best uh, basketball program in the country. And I never wavered from that. And um, I left, you know, Bishop McNamara, where in who competes in the WCAC, which I consider the uh, ACC of high school basketball. So it was one of the great, you know, high school basketball leagues, you know, and, and to leave there to go to Montverde, I had to make sure that uh, I was, you know, negotiating and putting things in place that was going to be worthwhile. Um, and then, so one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, to, uh, I had an administration uh, that was committed to supporting me to building the best basketball program, you know, in the country. Okay. Now it definitely helps when you have a great administration. Uh, I, I, I say all the time, you know, I quote coach Cal, you know, when he says this administration builds championships. I love that. I love that quote. What do you recall about coaching LD Williams? Oh, truly one of my living trophies. Uh, LD is a special person, first and foremost. Um, secondly, he is uh, a tremendous uh, teammate. He was always, always making sure that, that, that his teammates knew how much he cared about him and how inclusive he was. You know, and then when he started to ascend as to the top as one of the better players on the team, and then eventually in his senior year as the best player on his team, he just led in such a way that people always wanted to perform well for LD. And uh, and then I coined a phrase, uh, you know, for LD. I used to tell our players all the time when we ran our alley-oop plays, you know, throw it to the moon, and then LD will go get it. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's definitely – that's definitely... <laughs> You know, you reunited with Jeff Capel at ODU, um, and ultimately the staff wasn't retained after 2011. I've been a part of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk about what goes through your head after realizing, you know, that the means of putting a roof over your head has been taken away. Because I think a lot of coaches don't think about it until it happens. Well, you're 100% right there. I, I don't think anyone goes into a situation thinking that they're going to be anything other than successful. Um, so you, you have to get over yourself as quickly as you, you possibly can. Um, and you have to have a lot of self-care. You have to look at those, but you have to look at the situation and see where you can, where you could have been better. Um, you have to internalize and, you know, uh, conceptualize and, uh, what went wrong or um, what went, you know, not the way you wanted it to go. Um, and then you go about systematically identifying, um, what it is that you want for your next opportunity. And I'll give you a prime example of that. Um, when we were got let go at Pittsburgh, our staff was let go. Um, and, and unfortunately in college coaching, you can, you know, if your head coach is unsuccessful, then, you know, the whole staff can get let go. And then also on the flip side of that is you can be successful and then the head coach moves on and it doesn't have to take you with you with them. So, yep. You know, you have to deal with that as well. Um, but once you get past your, your ego being bruised um, and you realize that, you know, uh, if you're in this game long enough, it can happen to you. Then you go to the point where you have to uh, do some soul searching 
And I'm very fortunate enough that my wife is, uh, she's very, very truthful, very, very honest. Um, and she has been a part of my, you know, my, my career. So when we were leaving uh, Pittsburgh, she and I sat down and um, we decided what the three things that we were looking for, uh, what we wanted out of the next opportunity. We wanted to have uh, be a part of a winning program since we were just, you know, just lost at, you know, Pittsburgh. And uh, so we wanted to be a part of a winning program. And, and that program had the ability to sustain their winning. We wanted to uh, for me to be with a coach that I had a prior relationship with or that I that knew of me and knew what I brought. My talents were and what I brought to the table. And that's what they wanted. And then third, we wanted a, uh, a quality of life. Because like I said, my, my youngest daughter is at home and she's now of the age that understands uh, what daddy does. And, you know, winning is important and losing important because it can affect, you know, our livelihood, my livelihood. And so we were able to find all three of those things at uh, here at the University of Rhode Island. Um, they had one and they, we still have the ability to sustain that winning. Uh, David Cox and I have known each other for, you know, 15 years. I uh, saw him play in high school, coached against him, uh, know of his, his, his path, his coaching path, and have a great deal of respect for him as a man, you know, and as a coach. And then third, the quality of life here in Rhode Island has just been tremendous. So um, my advice to coaches is when you do your soul searching after you have uh, been let go or fired or you know, reassigned, uh, take that time to, to really turn your face uh, around and look at yourself and do the, do the self-evaluation and then come to the realization that, uh, you know, I'm going to move forward and this is how I'm going to move forward. Because when we decided what the three criteria we were looking for in our next experience, experience or next job, it really helped us lock into uh, what we were looking for. And at the time I was involved with Charlotte, um, I was involved with South Florida and obviously I was involved with Rhode Island and Rhode Island won out because it had, it, it had, it reached, it, it met our three criteria. Now you articulated that so well, because me being out of coaching this past year, I mean, I, I, I've felt all that stuff and I've kind of done some self, a lot of self-reflecting, but I hadn't heard it put just like that. You hit the nail on the head. That's perfect. Um, you know, the next decade, you know, after uh, ODU, you, you spent coaching high school basketball, the private school level. Were there any opportunities at the college level that you passed on because of how successful the high school programs were? Yeah, there, there were there were several, uh, you know, college situations uh, that were presented to me. Um, but I was very, very comfortable. Um, like I said, you know, it, the, the, the levels that I've been at the high school have been the highest in the high school basketball, you know, uh, competing in the WCAC, you know, and like I said, it's like the ACC of, uh, of, you know, high school basketball. You can play, you know, Bishop O'Connell on Tuesday night, you know, uh, with Kendall Marshall at the, at the point guard spot. And then you can play uh, uh, DeMatha on Friday night. Uh, and then on Sunday, you got to go to St. John's and then Tuesday, you know, the next Tuesday, you got to go to Paul six. And, you know, that's, that's just, four games right there where you're playing against teams that have multiple division one players and, you know, 
at all levels, high major, mid-major, low majors, you know, you're talking about a high level of basketball. You know, when we were at Montverde, we were, you know, we were nationally ranked and we played on ESPN five times in one year. How many, you know, colleges and universities would love the opportunities, you know, to play on uh, ESPN? I mean, what value can you can you possibly put on having the opportunity to play on ESPN? You really can't put a monetary value on that. And we had the opportunity to travel, um, you know, in the continental United States and outside the continental United States and, and abroad. So the things that I, I've been able to do at the high school level is just not your traditional high school level. So, um, yes, there were some opportunities, but those opportunities were not better than the, the situation that I had. Jen, I, I feel like a lot of people it kind of translates to the college level where they're at a division three or division two, where it's such a great situation and, and they have opportunities and you know, so many of them just jump at the, you know, the highest level, but don't realize you're at a great opportunity. I mean, it, you run your program like a D one program. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. And I, and I think that once a, you as an individual take your ego and put it to the side, and then you can realize that, uh, you know, what, again, Dave, we, we talked about this before, but it comes with a lot of self-reflection, you know, to understand and becoming self-aware, like, who, who am I, you know, um, and what am I about and what's my why? And once you figure all these things out and then you realize, like, you know, you know what, I got that here. <laughs> I got that right here. I, I have everything that I that I just you know when I threw my self reflection, I realized that I'm, I'm I'm happiest here and I'm making the most impact right here, um, and and just blooming where I'm planted. So sometimes it's you know chasing you know for me it's no longer about levels. You know you when you reference Rafael Chilios yeah, and he and I are very close and we talk about it all the time. This thing is not about levels anymore. You know, not not for us. Um, we've had the opportunity to, to be at all levels, you know, but this thing is not about levels. Uh, it's about putting yourself in a position where you can be the most impactful uh, and enjoy what you're doing uh, on a daily basis. Uh, well said. You know, you worked with Team USA. How was that relationship formed uh, with Team USA? Um, my USA basketball experiences are without question um, some of the greatest basketball experiences I've had in my, my coaching career. And I've been blessed to have a very really good coaching uh, career and a long one. Um, but my relationship started uh, with USA basketball when I was an assistant coach, when I was a head coach at Bishop McNamara back in 2002. Uh, they, at the time, USA basketball had the, the hoops uh, summit and um, where they brought in, 10 players from the four directions, north, south, east, and west. And they brought us out to Colorado Springs. And then we played a series of games, you know, out there. And, um, and it was just tremendous. And I really enjoyed it. I was, I was an assistant coach on that initiative. And then um, when I was a head coach at Montverde, I had an, an opportunity, my second opportunity, to join USA Basketball um, for the developmental program. And that initiative uh, has been, you know, over, I think, 10 to 12 years now. And uh, it was right after the Beijing Olympics. And they brought uh, us there and we selected the best 16-year-olds. And, uh, and it was a two-year uh, assignment. And so this team was going to stay together, for, you know, for 16 and 17s. And I want to say that every player 
on that U16, U17, two-year experience is either in the NBA right now or has had at least a two-year, you know, uh, two- to three-year career in the NBA. And then finally, my last USA Basketball assignment um, was coaching uh, the Hoop Summit team. Um, and we, we, that was uh, um, the best 17-year-olds in, in, you know, in the United States versus the world. And it was in Portland, Oregon, and we won that game. And then when I became a college coach, you can no longer be a part of um, that you know, initiative at USA Basketball, you know, um, only uh, head coaches are allowed to coach for USA Basketball. I have a feeling you'll be back with uh, USA Basketball in, in some time. <laughs> I, 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 I pray and, and I really hope that I, I am, um, but I still stay in contact with uh, Don Showalter, you know, um, and, you know, Mike Jones is the head coach now and I help him get to that, get there. And Steve Turner, the head coach at Gonzaga, I help him, you know, get there. I speak for them. Um, and, I, and I still stay connected to Sean Ford, who's, you know, uh, and Jim Tooley. So I stay connected to you at USA, uh, USA Basketball and, you know, I always serve as a, you know, a, as a resource in any way, shape, form or capacity that they, they'll have me. That's great. Um, you know, if you weren't a coach, what would you do? I'd be an athletic administrator. I, I feel like I'm a leader um, and I want to be an impactor. You know, and I, and I want to enact change uh, and I want to use my platform to do that. So if I wasn't a coach, I would, you know, be in uh, in a leadership position, certainly uh, surrounded around athletics. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of coaches, especially with the George Floyd and the racial injustice going on in this country that's been going on for far too long, you know, that coaches are trying to end the stigma of the black assistant coach being quote unquote recruiter. Talk about, you know, that stigma and breaking it. Um, I have just gone about it in, in this fashion. I have worked you know, diligently, intentionally and uh, systematically to dispel the myth about uh, assistant coaches and certainly African-American, you know, uh, or assistant coaches of color, um, you know, being just recruiters. And I've done that to, to by being a, a professional. I carry myself in a professional manner, how I walk, how I dress, how I talk. And I'm a student at the game, you know, and I never wanted to be labeled. So I didn't, you know, uh, accept being labeled. Um, I took on every job and wanted to know about every other job that there was possible in the, in, in, in the game of coaching. Um, so I never accepted the label of you're just a recruiter. You know, I, you know, on my own, I would go off and learn how to do the video coordination and, you know, on my own, I would, you know, study, you know, defenses and offenses. I mean, I'm a student of the game, you know, and I take pride in myself on being versatile. I believe that the more versatile you are, the more valuable you are and the more value that you bring. So I didn't allow myself to be, uh, you know, labeled. And I say this all the time, you know, don't allow yourself to be labeled. Um, you know, just because they see you one way doesn't mean you got uh, to, to, to remain that way. Um, and the more professional you are, the more respect that you'll demand. Coach, I think listeners are going to really enjoy that. That is such great advice. Um, that's awesome. That's tremendous. Um, you know, you were hired by Mike Lonergan, who uh, was a Catholic University head coach. What are some things that you, uh, you learned from him? Um, Mike was a very hard worker. Um, 
he he was passionate about the game of basketball. Um, I I learned, you know, uh, that you have to be very very flexible, and and you know you have to choose and pick your battles. Um, and I think that Mike will be the first one to tell you that he didn't always uh, do that. Um, so you know, some situations you learn what to do, and other situations you learn what not to do. Um, but he was a very offensive minded uh, person that that really was passionate about the game of basketball. Um, I think in his heart of heart, he really did care about his players. Uh, but like I said, I, I was able to uh, learn from him, you know, a lot what to do and, and some things what not to do. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody tries to take both of those things from, you know, coaches they work for and work under, you know, what would you do differently? What's something you would emulate? Um, you know, I worked for Steve Howes, who obviously uh, coached under and played for Mike. Yep. Always enjoy that that Mike Lonergan coaching tree. Um, you know, from GW, you move on down the road to Georgetown. Talk about coaching under JT three and your interactions with Big John. Uh, being from the you know the the DMV, uh, I had the the privilege of watching you know uh, affectionately known Big Coach uh, build Georgetown into an, an, a national power one of my best friends uh, and teammate on the U-17 um, team, uh, gold medal team with Tommy Emmerich and myself was Michael Jackson. So, you know, we, we, we got firsthand knowledge of things that were going on within the program and, you know, and coach, how coach ran the program. And I remember watching Georgetown play on local TV. <laughs> and then I, uh, when they got Patrick Ewing, they, they, I remember watching, uh, Georgetown play Virginia in the at the time where the Bullets played now the Wizards uh, at the Capitol Center and I just saw the metamorphosis of what a program and how it galvanized the you know, whole DC area because remember like I said I grew up thinking you know the ACC was the best conference I grew up thinking there was nothing better than Maryland basketball but here was a you know small Catholic school on the hill um, and big coach uh, was you know a powerful, powerful uh, figure, um, not only six for 10, you know, but he was articulate, he was educated, and he was outspoken. And the Big East was just so totally different than the ACC. Um, so they have the opportunity to fulfill a dream of coaching at Georgetown University. And in every single day, having the opportunity to interact with big coach and just Little, just sit there, David, and not have to say a word, and he would just drop nuggets, and and I always carry an ink pen, uh, and just taking notes upon notes of just different things from him. And I played against John Thompson the third in high school when he was at Gonzaga, so we had a re relationship, and so I could join his staff. I had a great deal of respect for him. Uh, people don't understand this about JT three. JT3 um, had to, becoming the head coach of Georgetown to follow in his father's footsteps. He had a, a, a tremendous amount of responsibility. He had to honor the past um, because the past was present every day in the form of, of his father, you know, so, and, but he had to do it in his own way. And he did, he took his own team to the final four. He played a different way and he is very educated 
uh, very articulate, and he's a really good person, and he knows the game of basketball. And then I'm also connected to the Thompson family because I had the opportunity to coach uh, Ronnie Thompson, like I said, in uh, in the summer leagues, uh, and then when I got into coaching. So I, I've known the Thompson family all, you know, for a, a good portion of my life. So having the opportunity to coach at Georgetown was an honor. And so after leaving the DMV, uh, you've been on staff at Pittsburgh and now Rhode Island. Talk about how the last four years have been being outside the DMV. Um, uh, tremendous. Uh, I, I interviewed at, uh, had a preliminary interview at James Madison University, um, and I didn't get it. Uh, but uh, Jeff Bourne, the, uh, the AD at the time, you know, he said the only thing that I had not done was uh, coached in the AC or ACC or Power Five conference or and recruited at that level. So, um, when Jeremy Ballard, you know, called me on the phone and asked me, would I have an interest in, you know, coming to university of Pittsburgh on coach Stallings staff? Um, I, I jumped at it. You know, I knew, you know, coach Stallings because he had recruited one of my players, Steven Chiangang from Cameroon while I was at Montverde. Uh, I knew King Rice and I knew uh, Dan Muller. Both of those guys did a heck of a job recruiting them. And, uh, so to, so to join coach Stallings staff, you know, who I knew, um, as a tremendous offensive mind, in the game of basketball and to go to the ACC, it was another, you know, fulfillment of a dream and another growth opportunity for me. Um, we didn't win. Uh, we were let go. Um, and it was a difficult situation. You know, uh, the AD that hired Coach Stallings in our first year, he leaves, Coach Stallings gets uh, hired in April and uh, the AD leaves in November or December. Um, so the first year we worked without an AD and then finally this, the spring of that year, they bring in another AD, um, Heather likes. And, um, so we worked off the second year, um, with a brand new team, uh, because the, my first year, that team was a senior laden team, you know, Cam Johnson was a junior, um, and, uh, Michael Young, uh, Jamal Artis, um, uh, Chris Jones, all those guys were seniors. Uh, um, and so uh, it was a learning experience. And um, and I got to see firsthand, you know, how much talent was in the ACC. And you're coaching against four Hall of Famers, you know, Coach K, Jim Beheim, um, Roy Williams. Um, I'm, I'm missing the fourth one, but it was at least three. Oh, Rick Pitino. <laughs> So you're coaching against four uh, Hall of Famers. So it was it was the highest end of high school basketball. I mean, it's the highest end of college basketball, Power Five, and it, it taught me an awful lot. It taught me about, more about the business. You know, David, I say now, um, love the game to anybody that listens. I say love the game because that's why you got into it. Uh, but learn the business and learn that it is a business. And the quicker you can do that, you know, better off you're going to be. Um, the last two years here at Rhode Island have just been absolutely tremendous. I joined a staff, uh, David Cox in his first year. Um, and I'm really working diligently to help him build the program that he had always envisioned. And I really feel that I'm having an impact here. And you guys definitely have a lot of talent coming back. It looks like, um, you guys had a, a really good season, you know, talk about the a 10 tournament being canceled. Like I said, especially after having such a really good season. Yeah, um, obviously it's disappointing. 
but now in, in, in hindsight, you, you look at the, the ramifications of what we're, we're involved in right now. We're involved in what I call two pandemics. Um, we're involved in a health pandemic and we're involved in a social racial pandemic. Um, so to have the tournament, you know, canceled at the time, you know what, it was disappointing because we were uh, finishing third place. We had a chance to, to, we had a really good seed and I really believe that we would have made it to the championship of the A-10. Um, and then we would have been in postseason play, which would have either been in the NCAAs or the NIT. But uh, looking at what we have gone through since then, you know, it's so much bigger, uh, you know, issues that, that, that we need to focus our attention on, to be very honest with you. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. What associations have you been involved with? I know that a few uh, new ones have uh, come to fruition as a result of the racial injustice, but, you know, talk about the NABC among others uh, that you've been involved with. Um, You know, I, I'm a, you know, a, a, a board member for crossover basketball for India. Um, You know, it's an initiative to, to raise the awareness and understanding and and basketball and and on the continent, excuse me, on India in India. Um, Also, you know, a board member for winning hoops magazine, um, you know, uh, and then also, you know, I, I um, try to you know, be as involved as I possibly can with like, you know, uh, other initiatives like, you know, what we're doing here in the, in the A-10 right now with the assistant coaches, um, which should be coming out, you know, pretty soon and trying to, um, you know, empower, you know, I'm excuse me, educate, empower, and, you know, and, and, and evolve, uh, you know, dealing with all the social issues and uh, that we have to deal with and, and you know, through the game, you know, in the, in the world today and, and using our platform as, you know, coaches and, and, and as, um, athlete, you know, coaches and athletes. That's great, Coach. What do you want your legacy to be in the basketball community? Um, I have, a, I, I, I'd like to say this, um, is a legacy is not what you, what you leave for people. It's what you leave in people. Um, so I, I hope that my legacy is uh, that I use my platform and use my talents and abilities uh, that I have been blessed with to be a ladle that poured water into the buckets of the student athletes that I came in contact with. Um, and I wanted to you and, and that I fulfilled my my vision of, you know, impacting as many lives as I possibly can through the game of basketball to create living trophies. Where did you develop the idea of living trophies? That that phrase came to me uh, because I was asked a question uh, about um, our my team at Montverde Academy that went thirty and zero in year four, and we were crowned national championships, um, national champions. And so I was asked I was asked about that team uh, to 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 describe it in one, in one word and an adjective. Uh, and I couldn't, you know, because there were 15 members on that team and um, 10, you know, 10 varsity players and, and the starting five from the JV team. So 15 members on that team and all 15 of those players, when they graduated from Montverde, all received scholarships. And they were such a, an incredible group of people. Yes, we went 30-0, and, and we were a very good team, but they were far better 
people and they understood uh, what it meant to play uh, basketball um, and use their platform. They were high character. They were committed student athletes and they were passionate about the game of basketball. And it represented everything that my program uh, stood for. And so I came up with the phrase living trophy because when we win championships as coaches or we win awards in our lives, we put those trophies in a case or we put it someplace else um, and we store it away. And then we bring that trophy out, say, 10 years later for a 10-year reunion or a 25-year reunion. And when you bring that trophy out of the trophy case, it has 10 years of dust and or 25 years of dust on it. And so a living trophy is a person that you have taken the opportunity to pour into and be that ladle that fills their bucket up, that listens to their hopes and their dreams, because that's what they have. Especially when I was at Montverde, they had a lot of hopes and dreams. And I was taking kids from, you know, uh, Lithuania, Poland, uh, Germany, Australia, um, every country on the continent of Africa. And those kids were coming there at 16 and 17, you know, uh, years of age with uh, just their backpacks. Uh, um, and But inside their backpacks was the hopes and dreams of everybody uh, in their family because they were pouring into them. So I, I understood a sense of responsibility. My wife understood our sense of responsibility to pour into them and help them reach their dreams and help them reach their goals. And so I just coined the phrase living trophy because I think it just encompasses everything um, that my program stands for and what I stand for as a coach and educator. That's well put coach. Um, you know, during the recruiting process, you build a relationship with the young men and in their inner circle. Are there any players that you didn't get who you remained friends with over the years? Um, you know, a- absolutely. Um, I, you know, uh, David, I, I, I try to, when I, when I recruit, I try to uh, quickly understand who's in the, the student athlete circle of influence. And then from there, I try to understand who is the influencer inside the circle of influence. And so I recruit old school style. Um, I recruit the parents, you know, I recruit the grandparents, I recruit the girlfriend, I recruit everybody that's, that's in that circle of influence because I really want to, uh, them all to know who I am, what I stand for and what I represent. Um, because, you know, just to give you an example, just like right now, um, we're in a health pandemic. And like I said, a social, you know, racial plan- pandemic. Uh, so when you're talking to parents, they, they, you know, we shouldn't really be talking about basketball. We should be talking to them about, you know, wanting to coach their, their most you know, prized possession, their sons. And the parents should be asking us, what, will you, what, are you, what are you doing right now with your present players? Because, you know, if this happens and my son is there, I want to know that you know that he's important to me. Uh, so I think that it's really important that you make a connection with uh, as many people as you possibly can that, that surround that kid and has an in- influence on that kid. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've missed out on, on, on a lot of kids, you know, um, for various uh, reasons. But that's just a part of the business that, that we're in um, when you're recruiting. You're not going to always get, you know, your, your, first, uh, your, your, your first option. And you're not always going to get, you know, everyone that you recruit. 
So it's just a part of it. No, I couldn't agree more. You know, I stay in touch with you know, guys who I've missed out on uh, in the recruiting. And I always say, you know, you never know when our paths are going to cross again. You, know, you might be. Well, like, I mean, yeah, that, that's 100%. That's 100% truth now with the, uh, 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 the transfer portal, what it is. Um, and that's the NCAA's version of uh, free agency. So you, you would be less than wise uh, or less than smart. I wouldn't say any person is dumb, but I would say you'd be less than wise or less than smart to lose out on recruit and then just, you know, burn that bridge. Um, you know, you just you, you lick your wounds and you wish them well. Um, and then you'll be surprised. Uh, um they go off to another school and don't have a great experience. You'd be, they, they remember that they, they, they absolutely. And their circle remembers that how you handle it mm-hmm. um, again. And I learned that from my experiences um, when I was a high school coach and I had recruitable athletes and, uh, and I would say to all of them, I said, Hey, you can accept, uh, you, you can accept all the offers that every one of these schools are, you know, they, they offer you, you can, uh, but, but understand that you can only go to one school. So if you, you know, especially now with social media, these kids tweet out, I got a hundred offers. I would make my players call up all 99 schools and tell the coach, thank you, but I'm going to go to this school. And it really taught them that, hey, you know what? I don't need all this because <laughs> this is really hard to tell people no. To, you know, as a, as, a, as a kid to tell an adult, no, especially that that adult has done a really good job recruiting them. It's really hard. So what we try to do is we try to identify, you know, five your top five schools because you only can take five visits anyway, um, and then we try to narrow it down, you know, um, and able to them and help educate them to to make the decisions of where they want to go to school. Uh, so it would be less than smart to to burn bridges and you know. Uh, be upset and 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 be less less than professional as a coach to be mad and 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 hang up on a kid and you know tell him he make it tell him he's making a poor decision um especially in this day and age coach you and i are on the the same boat you know guys who have committed to schools that i've coached at i i've even asked them i said you know before you post anything to social media please reach out to the other coaches who oh absolutely that, that's that, that's 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 a part of maturing. Mm-hmm. That, that that's a part of of maturing, you know. And and I think that more coaches need to do that, and more families need to do that because it's it's what they don't realize is that um, that I have a family, you have a family, and their decision not to come with us can affect our families. It can affect my job. And it, and it's all a part of being respectful. No, without without question. Um, you know, I've gotten to be around and uh, know some of your former players, Randolph Childress being one of them. Talk about, uh, you know, some others that, uh, you know, are good coaches in the business or who you think will become good coaches. Because he's definitely one of them. I think uh, he's going to make a fine head coach. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, my, I, I, I say my, I actually have it written down. <laughs> um, my, my living trees uh, in, in the coaching profession um, is is uh, is vast, and I, without question, 
think that they all are going to be outstanding coaches. They're, they're outstanding coaches right where they are right now in the positions that they have, but they're going to be outstanding head coaches. And you start, you started with Randolph. Uh, Randolph is definitely going to be an outstanding coach. You have Nate James at uh, Duke University. You have Kimmy English at Tennessee. Uh, Levi Watkins, um, who's assistant coach at um, Mississippi. Um, got guys in the pros like uh, you know Rico Hines, uh, who's uh, an assistant coach with Sacramento, Sacramento Kings. Josh Merkel, who's doing a tremendous job down at Randolph Macon, you know, colleges. Curtis Staples. Uh, who's a high school coach down in you know Tennessee? You know these these guys are just impacting lives left and right, and they're just doing such a tremendous job. And they are going to be tremendous. You know, in, some of them are head coaches, like I said, in high school, but they're going to be tremendous head coaches. You know, uh, uh, when they go to the collegiate level as well. You know, talk about what coaches can do to separate themselves as far as getting jobs. And we can apply this to, you know, people trying to become graduate assistants. Are the days of cold calling coaches over? No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, you know, a- a- absolutely not. Um, I think that you and we and we see it with this, uh, the, the pandemic, with the, 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 the Zoom platforms. Now people more than ever, um, you know, people have the opportunities to connect but you have to network and can do it in an organic way. Um, one thing that I have done over the last five to six years that's proven to be really helpful for me, and, and I take a great deal of pride in being a relationship type of person, is um, um, every Thursday night, um, I come up with a, a list of 100 names, and I put them in four, you know, four categories, David. Um, and those categories change, but I'll just give you an, an example of one. So every Thursday night, I will come up with, uh, like I said, 100 names, put them in four categories. It might be category one, might be um, coaches. So that, that's, that, that, that's, you know, high school coaches, AAU coaches, you know, college coaches, you know, NBA coaches, you know what I'm saying? So that's just this broad topic. It'd be 25. And then another uh, topic, you know, t- number two could be athletic administrators. So 25 athletic administrators start well on your campus and then some other ones um, that you've met along the way. Um, number, number three could be, you know, NBA, uh, you know, executives, scouts, uh, assistant general manager, video coordinator, somebody associated with the NBA. And then lastly, it could be, it will always be a uh, 25 cold calls, people that I don't know that I do, I, that I want to know. Uh, and so what I do is I take a, you know, I'm, I'm old school. So I take a, you know, a legal pad, I'll put down the person's name, you know, and then I'll put down how I uh, communicated with them, email, uh, instant messenger, um, text message, uh, FaceTime, Zoom. So I'll, I'll put down how, how I connected with them. And then I'll put down in another category uh, what time of day I connected with them, morning, noon, afternoon, uh, night, uh, late night. Uh, and then finally, I'll have another category that says, did they respond? You know, obviously I'm shooting for 100%. Um, and, um, but I'll, I'll make sure that I, I write down if, if they responded or not. And it's been an, and so then on Friday, I spend all day Friday uh, community, uh, reaching out to, the, to those people. And what I have learned has been invaluable. I've been, I've been able to expand my network organically. Um, and then I've, I've also learned how people like to be communicated with. I've learned 
when people like to be communicated with. Okay. Um, and then how responsive, you know, people are. And these are just some things that, that have helped me, you know, reach out to people. And then I'm still honing my skills. So when you ask about the days of cold calling, yeah, th- those days are not over. Those, those, those days are not over. Um, but if Kevin can contact, you know, David um, today um, in a less stressful situation, very organically, and then we say a year from now, you know, David has a position on his staff and Kevin has done a great job of maintaining that relationship. David is more likely going to receive Kevin's call and, you know, possibly hire him because the relationship is so much more organic because I've, I've reached out and developed a relationship with you when I didn't want anything from you. So then now when I could possibly want something from you, it's less likely you're you're less likely to feel like oh this guy's just calling me for a job yeah, I don't even know him but I but now you do know me. That's the key the the organic you know this past year almost every time I've reached out to a coach hey don't need a thing just wanted to check in with you I hope all's well I saw you guys have so and so on the schedule next best of luck hey watch out for number you know twenty five. Yeah, and then you and then you lead that you lead that conversation by saying, if there's anything I can ever do to help you, feel free to reach out. Yep, uh, no question. Um, that's that's great stuff, Coach. You know, we're both readers. What books have you read in the past month or so? <laughs> uh, a tremendous amount. I, I've been stuck on Brene Brown. Um, her, her books are just tremendous. Uh, you know, Dare to Lead. You know, um, it's been a really good book, uh, you know, for me. I, I have found that to be so interesting. Um, but um, You Can't Hurt Me um, is another book. You know, almost all the books from John Gordon uh, started, you know, uh, uh, Coffee Bean. Um, let's see, uh, uh, Mark Baddinson's book, uh, Chasing a Lion on a Snowy Day. These are all just, you know, good books. I try to read. Uh, it's been slower, but I've, I try to read a, a book every two weeks, finish a book every two weeks, but I've been listening to a lot of books on, on tape. My wife really got me started to listen to books on tape. So, uh, listen to a lot of books, you know, on, you know, on tape, Michelle Obama's book, uh, becoming, um, and then I really listened to a lot of podcasts. Okay. No, oh, that's great. Um, you know, talking about the team you're with right now, Rhode Island, uh, you know, you guys are one of the top A10 teams uh, with some names that the casual basketball fans has heard of. Do you feel URI has a target on their back uh, coming into the season? Um, no, we, we we accept all challenges, so you can feel the exhilaration of victory. Um, so we're we're excited about where we've positioned ourselves. Um, in we like to say, uh, all smoke won it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. Now, I, A, the A-10 is one of my favorite conferences. I think you guys have such great coaches, great teams. I mean, I, I've, you know, been a George Mason fan for years. Um, and, you know, seeing them and Davidson play this year, you got VCU, you guys. I mean, there's not an off night. I mean, I don't want to say it's the you know, WCAC or the ACC, but, you know, in its own level, you guys don't have an off night. You guys have a gauntlet. Coach, you there? 
You there? I, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Another person just called in. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, you know, it's talking about how great the league is. Yeah. Um, you know, what advice do you have for players who want to get into coaching, whether they're currently playing overseas or professionally or college? You know, here are so many people talk about managers or graduate assistants. You know, what would you advise current players who want to get into coaching on? Yeah, my advice to current players is first and foremost, get the playing totally out of your system. Uh don't be on the fence about I still want to play or I want to coach. Whatever you decide uh, to do, you know, do it, you know, to the to the nth degree, to the best of your ability. But if you say I want to get into coaching, get that playing bug totally, you know, out of your 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 system. Um, secondly, I would say to um, a person that wants to get into coaching, identify some people uh, in the coaching profession that can serve as as mentors. Um, study them. Um, come to the realization, you know, um, you know what what you're about, and so you got to take a they got to take a first they got to take a look at themselves, and then look around and see who who out here in the coaching profession is um, you know doing it the way they they like, um, whether it be style of play, whether it be you know how they what their vision statement, value statement, and mission statement are, and how they run their basketball program, um, and then try to connect with those people so they can serve as a mentor. And uh, then finally, I would just say, just become a student, uh, you know, of the game of basketball. And uh, like I said before, you know, love the game, but learn, 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 learn the business and learn that it is a business. That's great. Coach, you've made it to the segment I call start bench cut. I give you three uh, things and you start one, you bench one, you cut one. Now I'm gonna give you uh, one skip, so you can skip one of these uh, if you feel like passing on it. Okay. Okay. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Nike. So you start Nike. Oh, uh, yeah, Adidas, and then and then Under Armour in that order. <laughs> okay. Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Uh, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. Okay, I like it. Uh. Stu Vetter, Red Jenkins, Morgan Wooten. It would be Stu Vetter, Stu Vetter, Stu Vetter, uh, Morgan Wooten, Red. No, Red Jenkins, then Morgan Wooten. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I actually refereed Stu Vetter's uh, grandson uh, the past couple of years. I think he's going to be a, a pretty nice player. That's actually his, his, his nephew, his brother's John's uh, son. Okay. Yeah. Because. I always saw him at the game, yep. you know, yep. I, I never wanted to bother him. You know, he's there minding his own business, mm-hmm. but he's going to be a good player. Mm-hmm. He can, he uh, can last, the ball. Last one. Uh, last one. Hoop dirt, verbal commits, NCAA transfer portal. <laughs> Everybody loves that question. <laughs> oh my God. Um, it would go. Um, it would actually go in the order that you, that you, 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 you. I would no, no. I would not. It would be coaches. Uh, it would be. It would be. be the second one, which is that coaches. What? Verbal, verbal commit. Oh no, no, no. It would be uh, hoop dirt verbal commit, and then it would be uh, NCAA trans, uh, transfer portal. But I, my number one would be uh, coaching carousel. Oh yes, that's a good one. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? 
oh man, Stan Jones from Florida State University, uh, Paul Hewitt, Tommy Amaker. Um, those are those are three monsters right there. Uh, Damon West. Um, yeah, those those are, those are the monsters there. Okay. Okay. Those are monsters, monsters. Yeah. Well said. Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, what what social media handles, uh, you know, how can they go about reaching out to you? Absolutely. Um, on Twitter, it'd be at Coach Sutton. Uh, email would be Kevin Sutton Basketball at gmail.com. Um, and uh, the third would be Sutton's Living Trophies.com. I've been there. That's a great website, Coach. I Thanks. really you did a phenomenal job on that. Credit goes to the to the, the missus. She 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 manages it. I just try okay. I just try to provide content. <laughs> That's great, Coach. I can't thank you enough for uh, you know coming on the podcast. Like I said, we've been playing phone tag, and you've been a guest. I I was real excited when uh, when Raph said that uh, you you'd be interested in coming on the podcast. No, no, no question, David. I, I really appreciate it. And the last thing that I would like to just say to to your listening audience is, um, you know, keep serving, okay? Um, keep serving right where you are. The people that 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 uh, you serve, the people that are under your leadership, you know, keep striving to be the best person that you can possibly be. You know, and uh, keep sharing, keep sharing of your time, your energy, and your information. And uh, keep soaring. Coach, that's great. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. uh, And I I look forward to hopefully meeting you down the road. Absolutely, David. I really appreciate this opportunity. All the best. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.